and uh, we're quite chuffed actually, Terry, to uh, welcome to the One One family the Perth Racing CEO, James Oldring. James, welcome aboard. Yeah, good morning, James. Thanks very much for having me. James, we better we better kick off by asking uh, probably the most important um, question, the one on everyone's lips at the moment. Why is the Twitter handle at Mug Punter? <laughs> Are we, do, do we battle to find a winner? Do we uh, do we talk down our our ability in the game? Why? why when, when did we start that? And that uh, and why why are we the Mug Punter? Uh, it was a very very old one, and you know what? I've become quite attached to it, and unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, it's still relevant. It's as relevant now as it was when I probably started it. 15 years ago, whenever it was. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've never updated it and I've held on to it. But, um, yeah, I, I do like an occasional punt, but it's, um, it's pretty small scale these days. And, um, yeah, I don't tend to try and do it on the race days themselves. Um, but, yeah, I still enjoy it. Outstanding, outstanding. We love it, James. You fit in very well here at the one one. Hey, um, yeah, I was going to say you, you stole you stole it before a few of my mates tried to use it. So <laughs> I think as well. I think it applies to plenty of people. So, yeah. <laughs> James, we're, we're, I don't know if you can tell, but we're super excited for the start of the the five week Pinnacle series this Saturday. Um, looks like the sun's going to be out. Uh, the fields are fantastic. William Pike's back in town. Looks like it's all all coming up roses. For for the, the, the start of the carnival this sad day. What's it mean to you to get, get this show on the road? Yeah, it feels like it's been a little while coming um, and I'm very glad that it's, it's nearly here now. Although it's been an amazing start really to the Ascot season. Um, you know, the quality of racing we've had here over the past month or so, um, it's been sensational. You know, And what's been great and what I, one of my favourite things about Australian racing is Trainers are not afraid to take each other on with their best horses. You know, there's no keeping them apart until the big day. You know, they go hammer and tongs at it from, from day one. And so we've been treated to some real spectacles in the past few weeks. But I, I thought the, the Buster or the King's Men contest was as good a horse race as you could wish to see last Saturday. Um, so really looking forward to seeing them again. Obviously, you've got the likes of Baby Paris, who's unbeaten bar running into Amelia's Jewel in the Caracatta. You know, she looks cracking. And then you've got some great stories coming up in, in the railway and hopefully a few interstate horses coming over for Winterbottom and Northerly, et cetera. So there's so much to look forward to. Yeah, I'm really buzzing for it. One of the things that uh, that um, we've spoken about a bit over the journey here on the 1-1 is, is the old Scahill Stakes was a race that was just sit- sitting there kind of withering on the vine a little bit. Um, and I think it lost a bit of relevance after the, after the Celt won it. it yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but what since you've come in and you've and you um you know in combination with Rawa made it a one point five million dollar race um had gave it its own identity it gave it a, a date that fits in well with the schedule and all of a sudden we've we've got what could could be the race of the the pinnacles on the last day but also a race which is a group three now that has the potential to be become our next group one in time yeah i mean it was i suppose one of my first or primary concerns or or priorities when i got here was was to look at our carnival and I, i felt that particularly given covid um the group ones were a little bit vulnerable and maybe they, they hadn't got the strength and depth that you really need to maintain your group one status. And for me, group one status is, is everything. You know, that's your relevance on the world stage. And if you lose that, then, you know, you, you very quickly become, it becomes very, very difficult to get it back. That's for sure. But 
you lose that breeding cachet, you know, it's much harder to attract the likes of, of a good dolphin. And I'm not in a position in, in WA where if we lost the status, I could say, well, never mind, we're going to make it a $5 million race and people will come anyway. You know, I don't have that luxury. So the principles of, of retaining that group one status was massively important. But also then looking at what is the program through the carnival? Like how do the best horses map through our carnival and what opportunities do they have? And you know, you look at you looked at the sprinters and you know, they've got the winter bottom, which is a sensationally good race, but then where do they go? Mm-hmm. Um and there wasn't really an obvious opportunity for them and you want to keep the best horses in WA and you you know, the domestics and you also want to attract the interstate and so I was very lucky when I went to Rawa and sort of went to knock on the door and I found it was wide open and they were having exactly the same discussions internally. And it was actually a pretty straightforward process to sit down with them and say, okay, we've got a pot of money. How do we distribute it? What do we do? And so the group ones went up by 50% to one and a half million, which is obviously a massive jump in percentage terms, but it takes them, you know, into the realms of very, very competitive in the prize money. But that's not to say there's not scope to go further, really. Um, but then, yeah, we looked at what was what was the obvious addition or what was the race that needed the boost or what could we do. And the old scale as it was, um, it was, it was like I say, it was obvious. It was that's the one to go and the timing is perfect. And so you give horses the opportunity to have a natural flow really is to start in the railway and go to the northerly or to start in the winter bottom and then go to the gold rush. But um yeah, you know, there's nothing to stop horses going railway gold rush, or you know, there's, there's that, opportunities yeah. there. Yeah. But um, that that sort of the key to me was two bites at 1.5 million was was really important, both domestically and interstate. Um, and then obviously with a race like the Placid Arc, you, know, you look at the three-year-olds and how do you map the three-year-olds from their sort of two-year-old career into the early stages of their three-year-old, and then taking on the older horses and giving them that opportunity to take each other on for a decent prize. It's a tried and tested route. You know, I saw it work with the Commonwealth Cup at Royal Ascot, you know, a three-year-old sprint group one. And instantaneously, it, it just worked. You gave the sprinters an opportunity to take each other on before they took on their older counterparts and it brought them on as horses. It gave us another feature. And so I'm excited to see the Placid Arc on, on Saturday as well. So, I've got to say a big thank you to Raul because it's it's amazing for me to come in from the UK and walk into a race club where prize money is available. You know, you, you can go in and say, what can we do? Right? And the answer is not, we don't have any money. Um, so that was a, a very enjoyable start for me to be able to create um, the additional races and the additional prize money. Um, and then to look at, well, how does that map? You know, that's a very natural five Saturday carnival. And, how do we rebrand that? How do we make it exciting? And, and how do we try and make it relevant to Western Australia? Um, I've talked far too long. I'll, I'll stop there and let you guys jump in. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It's uh, it's fascinating listening. There was one thing that I, I just was thinking about then was, has there been any discussion or, or thought process um, about some form of bonus? Um, say you win, let, exclude the Placid Arc, but we, we look at the uh, the railway, the the northerly, the gold rush, even the, the winter bottom and say if you win two of the four or you win three of the four or I don't know the exact um, logistics of it all, but has there been any thought of a little sort of bonus I- incentive um, to, to lob in there yeah, and maybe get a couple of the good ones across to hang around for a bit longer? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I've seen bonuses tried before and the only issue, and, and two from four makes loads of sense. The, the issue that we have is 
it's a bit too winnable. Um, yeah, okay. And so insuring against it, you know, through a bookmaker or, or anybody else or, or standing the risk as a club or as Rawa is pretty significant. Mm. Um, you know, railway to Northerly or Kingston Town as it was is a, is a pretty well-trodden path and there's a few that have been successful. So that's the challenge with putting up a bonus is just how much does it actually cost you? Um, you know, you're probably not getting much more than about three to one from a book. You know, what are the chances that Alaskan God does that double? You know, I don't know. Well, actually, I do know what they'll pay because I looked at the other day and I could get 21, which would have mm. been quite an appealing price. But, um, yeah, I think you should be uh, taking the 50s to vote, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, when you start talking about wanting to insure to a million dollars or something, then, you know, you don't always necessarily get the listed prices. So, um, so yes, is the short answer. It has been considered and it makes an awful lot of common sense as well. You know, we've, We've branded this carnival the pinnacle. Well, what is the pinnacle of the carnival? If you can win two, then it, should there be a bonus? Um, so I'd love to look at it again. Um, it would sort of probably just put in the slightly too expensive pile for this year, but see how we go, see what kind of horses um, contest it. And yeah, it would be great to be able to say as another enticement, you know, if you can come and come over here or, or Domestically, if you can win two from the four, then there's a million bucks in it for you. James, wh- how's the <clears throat> how has the talent acquisition process been for you? First time around this year, uh, going interstate, uh, talking to trainers, owners, bloodstock agents. What's the reception been like to the to the pinnacles on on the east coast? Um, and um, well, bottom line, massively positive mm-hmm. um, in terms of the reception. Um, the, the challenge for us is, is to try and make sure that they are thinking about it well in advance of planning their campaigns for the spring yes. because I think what, what has happened in, in the past and probably exacerbated this year by the fact that this is the first time they've been able to come for a few years is it becomes something or it has, has been something of an afterthought. It's like, well, actually, the horse has pulled up, okay, maybe we can go. Whereas the work this year really has been to say, look, you know, we've got, Four $1.5 million races across a four-week period. We're laying on a plane. There are incentives for you to come over here. We will look after you when you come. Um, you need to start planning for it with, with some of your horses as, as their as their primary option, not as your secondary. And We've done a lot of groundwork this year um, and probably built, I hope, a lot of bridges. Um, so, I mean, I'm expecting we'll get a pretty good representation from Godolphin and they're fantastic supporters of the carnival and I think have been for quite some time but we're hoping we're going to see a few from Walla um, maybe one from Melbourne Cup winning trainers um, Kieran and, and, and David um, uh, Ross Fire is obviously expected to come from Rob Heathcote which is a really nice get and I think he's a horse that's probably well suited to, to potentially running you know the winter bottom gold rush double um, I think you'd expect him to stay for both um, the astrologist as well. So, you know, there's some good horses coming across this year and I think we're likely to have somewhere between 14 and 16 horses on the plane. Um, and inevitably, you know, some of those are, are horses coming home. So I've, as, as much as it'll be fantastic to have Kiss on all four cheeks running in the carnival, I don't really count her as an interstate horse, you know, she's down here. Um, so I'm not going to chalk up too many, but, um, but it's been, it's been, Hard work, you know. I, I every single Monday after the carnival races in Sydney, I've been on the phone or emailing or texting the trainers that have had horses in the three 
of, from races over a suitable distance saying, have you thought about us? What can we do for you? What's it going to take to get you over here? And inevitably you get very polite, very enthusiastic responses, but it's, it's like, ah, you know, we're probably spelling or uh, we've got champions day in mind. So we, we do need to work on our, our relevance to the interstate, but three group ones at one and a half million is a pretty good statement. I mean, you don't, you don't get that anywhere outside of Victoria or New South Wales. So we should be proud of it and we should promote it as hard as we can. And the key for me is to showcase what we can do this year and then go back hard at them again next year. Absolutely. Yeah. The listening to you like now and also in the, in the um, chats that you've had on, on tab radio, it's very evident, James, that you're, you're very racing focused, which is, which is not a nice, I guess it's a breath of fresh air for, for us, really. Um, Everyone uh, can relate to a mug pun of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, where I think, you know. I, I was think, also I, a terrible jockey if you go back. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that shortly, actually. But, but were, you, were you a mug punter while you were riding? <laughs> I was going to say, absolutely not. Well, technically, as an amateur, I was allowed to bet as long as it wasn't the race I was riding. I certainly wouldn't have backed me. That's sure. <laughs> <laughs> Terry would have been hanging over the fence abusing you, I think. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think you should be able to back yourself, but I don't mind that. <laughs> yeah, I, think you can. I think you can in New Zealand, actually. Can you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, James, look, for us, we, we've – I think I think some of the focus has, has sort of uh, trailed off the, the racing and getting the, the racing right here in Western Australia, and the Masters format served us well, but it, it felt like it was a bit bit tired and in need of, um, I don't know, a fresh coat of paint, really, and you've come in. And um, in conjunction with racing and wagering, it feels like the timing is right and you've been a bit of an agent for change. And and as I said, listening to you speak about your love of racing and putting racing up as the main attraction, you know, rather than fashion, rather than the party, rather than all that sort of stuff. It's the racing that we love and I think it's the racing that is going to sustain people's interest in, in the game rather than all the other all the other stuff, the ancillary stuff. Yeah, I, I, I completely, I couldn't agree more with that. And for me though, it's, it's very important that racing is not just a betting product. Like racing is a sport and the jockeys are athletes. The horses are athletes. And we need to promote that because that's how you actually create fandom. And that's how you, you create a more loyal following and a more regular following. If it's just fashion or it's just music, then people come for one event and they don't follow your sport. You need to make them fall in love with the sporting element of that. And I'd say that us as Perth Racing and Rala as well to a degree, but we have a, an obligation to, to promote and to celebrate the sport. And so you'll see, you know, if you come on Saturday, we've got the Lucky Grey stake. So, you know, Lucky Grey will be there in the mountain yard and you can go and see him. And he's actually a pretty chilled out character. You can go and pass him. You can go and have your photo with him and take kids and go and see him. And that to me is really important to be able to have an interface between a top class X racehorse and the general public. You start building that respect for the animal and you start building that respect for the racing. And it's also great from an equine welfare perspective because people mm. see how well looked after they are post-racing. But, you know, when we had the Apprentices' Cup the other Saturday, um, it was great. It was a really good ride that won it from Cash, which was great to see. But, you know, we had the, the equisizer or the mechanical horse there, and we had kids up there trying it, you know, seeing what it was like to potentially be a jockey. And that's one of the things that's really hard to communicate that to a general public. You know, anyone can kick a footy or, or have a go at bowling a cricket ball, and most people have tried it. And so... When they see someone get one from 50 meters or, you know, Warney turning it around the back of Gatting's legs, like they know that that's an exceptional piece of skill, but mm. not many people have ridden a horse and even fewer have ridden it in a race. So when they see 
CJP or whoever it might be, get one there on the line, spot on timing, having squeezed it through a gap. They don't really appreciate the sporting skill involved in that or the level of fitness involved to do that. And so I want to get them on an exerciser. I want them to get them appreciating just how difficult it is and how much skill there is involved. And that takes time. And um, But I, you know, I, something I really focused on in my time in the UK um, with Champions Day was building a, a fan zone, as we called it, where people would go and see a mock interior of the weighing room and the scales and the pegs and the equipment that they were used. And they could go to jockey school, as we termed it, and they could go and actually get taught by one of the leading jockeys for 10 minutes. And this is what you need to do to be a jockey. And, um, you know, we partnered with local schools and also with the Pony Club. And, you know, we were getting a thousand kids there on a, on a major race day, obviously with their parents, which was very good. But um, that area was buzzing all day. Um, and, and that's the real opportunity for me is you need to start building the next generation of racing fans now. There's, there's probably been an element of we've missed a generation a bit. And or, I don't or, think or, two, or two, I think. Or two, yeah. yeah. And we don't shout loudly enough about what an amazing sport it is, but also what an incredible career opportunity it can be to work in horse racing. You know, people just assume, well, you're, you're a jockey or you're a strapper or whatever. But actually, you look at the, the opportunities that there are around racing, around media, commercial, sponsorship, events management. Podcasting. It's a massive industry. Hey, James, you're, you're really speaking speaking my language. And I <clears throat> I talk about this a lot with, with my friends and, and with Terry, and I'm, I'm sure I've bleated. Am I not included in the friendship group? I've, I've bleated, <laughs> bleated about this on the show before, but racing is such a unique sport is and and you 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 referenced it before because you can't play it at the lower levels it's not like footy cricket basketball so it's almost like the outside running rail is is the divide between the people who who play and then the onlookers and then there's there's no real real crossover so um what you're what you're talking about and the then what you've experienced in in britain with champions day is just the, those two worlds actually coming together so that people can actually rather than just being interested onlookers but standing on the outside looking in they're actually inside the circle and are really a part of it and, that's, and it is challenging with racing because there are so many barriers to trying it but we've got it it's our job as horse racing to bring it to them um because like i say if if it's only ever a betting product you never create true racing fans you know they are punters and there are lots of people for whom that's enough and that, that's okay but if you really want to create a loyal fan base then you've got to bring to life the, the sporting element of it and celebrate the horses as well i mean don't get me started on what makes a horse an incredible equine athlete because I'll go you know, speak for hours on it. But mm. um, but we need to celebrate them. And they are incredibly beautiful animals, but they're also very diverse. I mean, we only see them in, as racehorses and they're only trained to do one thing, but they can do incredible things. And, you know, there are retired racehorses who've gone on to three-day event in the Olympics. You know, that, that's an incredible achievement to, to win, on, win on the flat and then go and jump around the Olympic three-star event. Uh, three-day event course so um yeah i think they they should be celebrated and and they are ultimately you know the cornerstone of our industry and so we have a real um, obligation to promote the level of care that they receive and and you know what is the day-to-day routine of a racehorse and what what happens to them pre-racing during racing post-racing how are they looked after and how do we track it how do we monitor it we actually really need to tell that story because 
there are probably only two things that stop racing in their tracks. You know, one would be equine infectious disease if you're your athletes are ill when they can't perform um, but the other is social license and, mm-hmm. and if we lose that you know that's you almost never get it back and so that the promotion of the horse and what we do for the horse is, is right at the forefront of my mind most of the time um, one horse that was that was very well said by the way James one horse, I was just yeah, thinking that, that um, one horse that was very much loved and um idolised in Western Australia, Hall of Famer, Northerly. He's got his group one now, the, the Northerly Stakes. Um, I'm really looking forward to what you guys are going to be able to do and, and Rawa promotional-wise around the, the first running of the Northerly Stakes, of course, Northerly Lodge in, in the background or um, in the background of the uh, Ascot race course, uh, Hall of Fame trainer, Fred Kersley, Damien yeah. Oliver rode him to a Cox Plate victory. I mean, I, I was talking to my my nine-year-old daughter the other day about Northerly and showed her a replay of a Cox Plate that was a sort of um, horse that he was to me and how he shaped my racing journey. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what the club, um, the West Australian Turf Club and Rawa can do in, in this very first edition of the Northerly Stakes. It was, um, it was a really interesting process to rename that race because originally the proposal had been to call it the Eurythmics um, after, you know, the, I think the only WA horse to be inducted into the Australian Hall of Fame. Um, and, you know, his uh, skeleton's actually on display at the WA Museum, which I saw the other day. Um, and, um, you know, but we did some, you know, customer surveys. We surveyed our members and you know, we didn't even put Nordley as an option. It was, we're proposing Eurythmic. Do you have any comments? And, I think something like 33% of the responses said we'd rather you did northerly in one way or another. And you've got to listen to that. Um, and, and so we did. And you know, obviously it makes it an awful lot easier for us to pull up the footage and speak to the people that are involved in the horse because they're still Absolutely. around. So it's much yeah. more relevant. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that one of, one of the things I love about racing is, is how passionate everybody is about it. And so, even what you think would be a very minor issue, you know, the name of a race. And we're not, you know, it's worth one and a half million. It's still group one. Does it really matter what it's called? And the answer is yes, Absolutely. it matters to people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get some really passionate people going one way and really passionate people going another, but they both want the same thing, which is what's good for racing. So I never mind having to have a, a, a passionate conversation with anybody because I know ultimately the, the rationale for their for their well frustration if it is frustration or their enthusiasm is that we all want the same thing absolutely and and speaking of race names it leads us into my next question the uh the slots the slots for uh the four million dollar quokka uh will be announced this sunday i believe so the 14 successful applicants for the slots in the uh, our very first slot race next april i think it's the 15th of april next year will be announced this sunday um another Another exciting um, initiative from Perth Racing. However, th- what are your thoughts on the actual name, James? Um, <laughs> hmm. uh, <laughs> look, I- I'll be very honest and candid and say it wouldn't have been my first choice. <laughs> but then, <laughs> I don't claim to be a marketeer, and uh, my my view on it was a rose by any other name. Like it's it's well, a four million dollar race. I tell you what, it's and got people talking also about well, the name. So that's going to be the next point. Is any publicity? Is, yeah, there is no such thing as bad publicity. Mm. They say, and it it has been talked about a lot. And you know, some of that has been negative. Mm. Quite a lot of it has been 
you know what? That's kind of fun. Why not? It's a, it's a you know, is it a WA icon? Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it massively aspirational? Questionable. But <laughs> yes. um, yeah. But is it going to make any difference whatsoever to who competes in it? No. <laughs> and um, you know, is it going to mean that people talk about it a lot, like you say? Yes. Uh, so you know, arguably, it's doing its job. But uh, I mean, I'm just focusing on the fact that WA has a four million dollar rate. Yeah, it's um, yeah, you know that is absolutely brilliant. And I was, but lucky enough that I caught up with um, Rob Archibald from Annabelle Neesham's and Annabelle this morning because they were over in WA and they were like, "You've got a four million dollar race." I'm like, "Yeah, four million dollars next April." Like, you need to find a twelve hundred meter horse because there are inevitably going to be slot holders that need horses. And mm. they're like, "Wow, there is a lot happening over here at the moment." And, and there is. I mean, that's what's amazing. If I'd have if somebody had said to me within seven months of starting, you'd have the pinnacles and there'd be a slot race. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'd take that. I'd have taken that with both hands. So good on Rawa. You know, they have, they've really invested. And obviously it's not just in, in thoroughbreds as well. You know, they've done it across the three codes, which is, it's great to see that actually the boards of, you know, the board of Rawa can sit down and go, okay, we're going to do something great for, for each of the codes and we're going to try and tie it together. Um, so that should be a great weekend of sport in in Perth. Yeah, sens- <clears throat> sensational. Yeah, like you said, James, it's um feels like the planets have aligned with with you coming in the new the new um, I guess structure there and the um, people in charge at Rawa. The <clears throat> everything just feels like it's in a, a space where people want to start moving the industry forward. There was such a period of time of of flux with the sale of the tab, which thankfully is is not going to be going ahead now. Um, and then we'll just sort of stuck in a place where we couldn't really move because of the uncertainty involved with some of the key pillars of the industry. But I suppose we've still got the, the Belmont Park development to, to work through, but we'll save that conversation for another day. But the um, the fact that we are moving forward, more prize money for the features, uh, more exposure, um, Quokka, $4 million race, the Western Trilogy Series next year, feels like we're heading in a generally positive direction and um and as racing west australian racing lovers here at the one one we're we're thankful for for what's happening i mean racing in australia is, is booming at the moment and it's it, it's it's crazy to see the levels of prize money investment and you know you you look at it and go it's just been supercharged in the last couple of years because of that i suppose bonus that racing has enjoyed across australia because it managed to keep going through the pandemic and so you know, wagering returns are up, and that means that there is money to be invested. But it, it's great to see it being invested. Um, that's the thing. I there wouldn't be a more vibrant racing industry in the world at the moment than mm. Australia. Um, and you look at you know the horses in training sale back in the UK in October. I think ten of the top twenty lots were sold to Australia. Um, I mean that's a crazy figure. And obviously the cost of horse flesh in Australia has gone up quite significantly. You know the sale averages have gone up last couple of years. I mean, I think Magic Millions Perth, it was about 20% up on average last year, maybe even more than that. But you look at comparatively worldwide, it's still good value. <laughs> you look What they're paying in the UK for horses, given what they're then running for in the UK, is still way above what they're paying for horses here, given what they're running for. So mm. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a bubble that's got to burst. I think it's actually, it was just probably lagging and now it's it's supercharged and uh, you'd see that the growth has scope to continue. 
Absolutely, and and James, we'll 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 let you let you get moving. I know you're a very very busy man, but can I can I throw in a couple of suggestions while we've got you here? <laughs> I'm looking forward <laughs> put, to this. Yeah, so uh, I'm a if you haven't guessed, I'm a traditionalist at heart, and um, I just want a, just some consideration for a little bit of love for a little odd race called the Perth Cup, um, four hundred thousand dollar race. Now uh, I think. If you build it, they will come. I think it can be something something great again and just needs a little bit of love from Perth Racing and Rawa. Also I can it, give sorry. you a, so I agree with you on that one because one of the one of the discussions was do you put the slot race on Perth Cup Day? Mm. And and for me the answer is is no. I actually think you would kill the Perth Cup by doing that. It, it becomes the secondary race on the day when it should be the feature. So I agree that it needs to be invested in that. Now the prize money has gone up a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I think it's a hundred grand. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a bit, a bit more valuable, but yes, the Perth cup needs to be the feature that it once was. So I agree with you on that one. Yeah. Don't lose faith in that race. That, that, that race has history and has a real cultural, um, I don't know, a, a cultural heartbeat in West Australia. Also doing some programming for one of my clients, Morton racing during the week, in regards to the Quokka, now there is no uh, three-year-old only feature sprint races in in that period of time. All the major three-year-old races are fourteen hundred meter plus in the autumn, and I think it could be something that Perth Racing and Rawa could sit down and have a couple of feature sprint lead-ups for the three-year-old onlys. Just looking at the uh, the success of say the the new half million dollar Placid Arc Stakes on Saturday, mm-hmm. if there was a couple of three-year-old uh, sprint, only sprint races leading into the Quokka, then that could give those young horses the opportunity to prove that they're Quokka worthy when the slops are up for grabs. Just a just a thought that I, I come up with during the week, just doing some autumn programming. I love how far ahead you're thinking as well. <laughs> he's already done a speed map. For <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, I just got thought buff- I, he's got buffering. I thought well, <laughs> thought well, we had you had your ear, James. I'd just run those past you, but um, but yeah, once again, uh, pleasure to have you on the show, the one one, and um, yeah, everything that you're doing for for West Australian racing, the game that uh, that we we love so much. So thank you. Well, uh, thank you guys, and, and thanks to everyone who's made me so welcome. You know, it's it's been a real pleasure to get involved. So, I look forward to continuing for some time. Very good. Appreciate your time, James. Thank you. Thanks, James. Thanks. Cheers.